Well, if you would tonight, take your Bibles and turn with me in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 6, and we'll be looking there tonight. And uh, I want to share some things with you. I hope will be a blessing and encouragement to you. I hope instead of looking around during this sermon, you'll look right inside. I heard a story. There was some folks we know and love. A lady they'd been praying for for a long time finally came to church. And she sat there and the family was so excited because everything the preacher said was exactly what they thought she needed. So at the conclusion of the service, they were really curious uh, how she took it all in. And uh, as they walked out the door, they looked at this lady who desperately needed that message. And they, she, they, said, they said, Mama, what would you think about that preaching? She said, boy, he told them, didn't he? <laughs> and uh, I'm going to preach to me, and you listen for you, and let's ask God to work in our hearts and share something with us from His Word. How many of you would like to hear from the Lord tonight? Would you raise your hand? Well, we're going to ask God to do just that. This prayer we pray is going to be a little bit selfish, but it's righteous. And the prayer I'm praying is, Lord, speak to my heart. Use your Word to challenge me and change me for your glory. And as I pray, you pray. Let's ask God to bless His Word and the preaching of His Word tonight. Father, we love You. We thank You for the privilege we have to serve You. We thank You for Your Word. Father, we ask that You'd meet with us in a mighty way tonight. We pray that You'd bless Your Word and help us as we study Your Word tonight to be able to stand for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd look with me, Ephesians chapter number 6, we'll read beginning here in verse number 10. And we're going to stop before we get to all of the uh, shield of faith and these, uh, these beautiful things that are spread here. But right before we get there, I think there's some things we'll need to see from God's Word tonight. Ephesians chapter number 6, beginning of verse number 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. I only see a repetition in this passage of Scripture something that we need to address tonight. The Bible says in verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to... What's that next word in verse 11? Stand against the wiles of the devil. The Bible says in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to... What? Verse number 13? Stand. The Bible says in verse 14, verse, the first word, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. There's a repetition here in this passage of Scripture, and it has to do with standing. And we, I love the old hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. And I believe that we need to be paying close attention to whether or not we are standing up for Jesus or sitting on the sidelines not being counted. We're to stand up for Christ. We're to stand in the hedge and make up the gap. We're to stand strong and true for Christ. And this passage of Scripture, Paul speaking and writing this church at Ephesus, a church that he loved dearly. And he says, Church, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
The Apostle Paul is saying to this group of Christian people, he said, if the devil can do anything in your world, he wants to sit you down and count you out for the cause of Christ. I'll have you know something about my soul. Jesus has promised Cody Sturgill that he will never leave me nor forsake me. When I was eight years old, I was just a child in Chilhowee, Virginia. God began to deal in my heart, convict me of sin. Some of my friends that were going to Chilhowee Baptist Church at the time began to tell me about how they'd gotten saved and how Jesus had washed them clean. I remember riding the back of my mom, my grandmother's car. She listened to WHC, no, w, yeah, WHCB, that's 91.5, isn't it, around here? She listened to that all the time, and a group of little children sang a, a Bible verse song. And it said, Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And God used that passage of Scripture to convict me of the filthiness of my sin. As just an eight-year-old, I went home and asked my mom. I said, Mom, how can I be saved? She, saved my, she led me to Christ. I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart. Jesus saved my soul that night. What a privilege it is to know Christ. The Bible promised from John 3, 16 became mine that night. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know something that's wonderful? I have this very moment everlasting life. I don't get it if I've been real good the, the moment I die. I have it right now. I am sealed, saved, secure in Christ forever. What a privilege to know Jesus. I have everlasting life. You know the devil knows that? The devil has no power over my soul. Hallelujah. So you know what the devil does? He targets Christian people. He can't take their souls, but I'll tell you what he can do, and he's really good at it. He's able to take them from standing, proclaiming the Word, being effective for the cause of Christ. He takes them from standing and puts them on the sideline. And sits them down where they're not seeing anybody saved. They're not experiencing any victory. They're not experiencing any peace. Satan sits Christians on the sidelines and Paul says to the church at Ephesus, he says, I'm praying that you'll put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's shameful to me to think how many people in good independent Baptist churches just like this one have been seated by Satan. And God wants you to stand up, stand up for Him, be counted, be used for eternity, make your life count for something other than wood, hay, and stubble. Stand up for Jesus. When we see this passage of Scripture, we see some things that, that begin to illumine why, how we can stand up and stand for the Lord. The Bible says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. How can I stand for the Lord? How can I be able to stand for the Lord? Number one, stand strong in the Lord. Stand strong in the Lord. Now, this is kindergarten, what I'm getting ready to share with you, but it's the kind of kindergarten that I need. And it helps us. The Bible says to stand strong in the Lord. Capital L, little O, little R, little D. A Lord. Stand strong in the Lord. Now, Jesus has a proper title. Oh, I love my Savior. He's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. 
Jesus has a proper title, and His title is like this. Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's start with Jesus. I'm going to tell you something you may not believe, but it's true. The whole world believes in Jesus. And why do we have missionaries? Just wait a second, I'll tell you. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is a historical figure that shook the world. The name Jesus is a beautiful name. It's, and it's a, a name that actually in the times of Christ was quite popular. There were a lot of children uh, that we can see and folks that would have been named Jesus. They would have been named after, Je after Joshua. The name literally means Jehovah is salvation. The angel of the Lord appeared and told Mary and Joseph, name him Jesus. And there was a purpose for that. But Jesus was a common name. I remember the first time I was introduced to uh, Latino culture and I met somebody whose name was Jesus. And uh, it scared me to death. I, I couldn't believe somebody named their kid Jesus. I mean, that's, that's kind of odd, isn't it? It reminds me of this guy. He was a country bumpkin like me from southwest Virginia. He'd gone to Southern California to work in a youth camp. They'd brought folks in, kids in from all over, and he's calling roll. He'd open up his, he'd open up his roll, and he began to call names. And he says, uh, Juanita, are you here? He says, Josie, J-O-S-E, are you here? And then he just went cross-eyed. He said, Jesus, are you here? And somebody graciously came up to him and said, Hey, look, buddy, I know you're not from around here, but Southern California, we've got this uh, kind of Latin America-type influence. He said, he said, the J's have an H sound. And so it's, it's Jose. And it's not Jesus. They, call, they say Jesus. He said, oh, 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 I get it. A few days passed and someone said, said uh, I know you're here for a little while this summer. Uh, he said, they said, when are you going to leave? He said, oh, I'm going to leave sometime in Hoon or Hulai. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he kind of got it, didn't he? Jesus. Jesus is His name. It's a beautiful name. I remember singing when I was a kid, when I was scared. Mom said, just call out the name of Jesus. And I'd sing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. I love that name. But the whole world believes in Jesus. Do you know that it's 2018 in China and 2018 in Japan, 2018 in Russia? The whole world sets their clock by this man, Jesus, who shook the earth. <laughs> with His influence. But I'll just have you know, when you add the second part of His title, the crowd of Christ followers is much smaller than the people who believe that Jesus was a historical figure. I want you to know something, I'm a Christ follower. I believe in Jesus the Christ. I believe that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled all the Old Testament law. He did everything He is supposed to do in order to be our Savior, our Redeemer, the Christ that was prophesied from the book of the beginning of the book of Genesis all the way through. He is the Christ. There's only one way to heaven. Jesus of Nazareth that hung on that cross and died and was buried and three days later rose again victoriously. That is the Christ. I believed in Jesus Christ the day I got saved. Hallelujah. And He said He'd never leave me nor forsake me. But that's not his complete title. Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know what a Lord is? 
the boss. You know what a Lord is? A Lord's in charge. You know what a Lord does? A Lord tells you what to do. And you know what? If you have a Lord, that makes you a servant. And as a servant of Christ who is strong in the Lord, that means what God says you do it. What God's Word dictates, that's, your, that's how you live. You ask God before you move. You ask God before you do. You ask God before you speak. That makes Jesus Christ your Lord. I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians who believe in the Christ, people whose souls have been saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb, who have forgotten that He is not only Jesus the Christ, but He is the Lord of their lives. And folks, I'll have you know something. Nothing will sit you on the sidelines faster than living in rebellion to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Nothing will wreck your life quicker and render you ineffective for the glory of God than to neglect the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How many of you have said things that were outside of what your Lord would want for you today? How many of you have looked at things that are outside of what the Lord would have for you this week? How many of you have lived a life in rebellion to the Lord? I'll have you know something. The only way you can stand up, stand up for Jesus is to be strong in the Lord. Jesus must be Lord of lords, King of kings. How do you stand strong in the Lord? You do what God wants. You seek His will. You desire His will. You desire His path. That's strong in the Lord. Oh, may we not live in rebellion to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If we're going to be able to stand, number one, we must stand strong in the Lord. Number two, we must stand against the devil. We must stand against the devil. Now, we resist the devil. Don't be foolish enough to think that you can take him on yourself because you can't. But we resist him and we stand against the devil. This Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse number 11. He says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, the Bible says that we are, in order to stand against the wiles of the devil, it begins with standing strong in the Lord, but it continues by standing against the devil. The Bible says that the devil has wiles. A wile is a military strategy. If you could imagine the devil, I don't think he does, but if you could imagine the devil has a filing cabinet, you can just see him pull the door open, start thumbing through, and he looks for your name. In that file folder, inside of that, the devil knows what your weakness is. And we have them, don't we? And he says, "Mm mm-hmm. Now, I can't tempt Cody this way, but I sure can tempt her. And I can't tempt her this way, but I sure can tempt him this way. And he knows you. And we have an adversary. The Bible says we need to learn to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then the Apostle Paul takes his finger and he puts his finger on a wile that all of us are struggling with. You know what he says? Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What's the Apostle Paul say the problem is? Everybody else, flesh and blood, your neighbor, your wife, your husband, that deacon, that preacher, <laughs> that son, that daughter, that mother, that father, that boss. Does God in His Word say your problem's those people? <laughs> Bible says, uh-uh, back up. Your problem's not the relationships that you have. And that's not what's keeping you from standing for Jesus. It's not somebody else's fault. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not the people. He says, but against principalities. It's fascinating to me, the context of the Scripture. Look at chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 21. He's dealing very specifically with relationships. The Bible says, submitting yourselves one to another. In the fear of God. The Apostle Paul's dealing with relationships in the church at Ephesus. And he says, look, if you want to have peace and you want to see God work and you want to be stand up in your Christian life, he says, you need to submit yourselves to one another. What's that mean? That means you esteem someone else's needs greater than yours. Then he talks to the wives. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. He says in verse 25, he says, husbands... Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Verse number 1 of chapter 6, He says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Verse number 4, He says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, obey, be obedient to them that are your masters. And he says in verse 9, Ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. What's, what's Paul dealing with in this passage of Scripture? Relationships. He says, submit yourselves one to another. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, provoke not your children wrath. If you're a servant, be a good servant. If you're a master, be a godly master. And in context of all these people relationships, in context of all these family ties and personalities and personality conflicts and bitterness and unforgiveness, what's God in His Word say to you? Oh, Church, if you're able to stand and get something done, if Bible Baptist Church is able to make an impact in Kingsport, which is a needy gospel area, this place needs churches just like this one. I know this place. I love this place. I love these people. This place needs Jesus. But if you're going to have a church and a family that's going to be used of God, standing for the sake of the gospel, you're going to have to stand strong in the Lord. You have to stand against the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know what you want to say? We could have something great if it wasn't for a person. If it wasn't for that person. We'd have a great marriage if it wasn't for my husband. <laughs> you know we want to blame people, don't we? Have you ever noticed that? Oh, I counsel so all the time with folks. Young people who blame their parents. Parents who blame their children. Husbands that blame their wives and wives that blame their husbands. 
Churches that blame their preacher and preachers that blame their churches. And all the while, the devil is looking in that while and he's saying, man, this works every time. Hallelujah, this is good. These moron Baptists, man, they just, they're easy. Let's just make them mad at each other and there's no way they'll get anything done. You've heard all the stories of these mountain churches and not so mountain churches where people on this side won't talk to people on that side. Don't you tell me God can bless that. People who are living in rebellion to God and wondering why God's not blessing. I'll tell you what's happened. They have ceased to stand up for Jesus. There's a beautiful illustration of this in the New Testament. The book of Luke, chapter number 22. The context of Scripture looks like this. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's called His disciples to gather in the upper room. You can see the the famous painting as they sit there at the Last Supper. Now when I see that painting, I think, man, wouldn't it be cool to be sitting at that table? Man, that's awesome. There's a lot going on in the context of that painting and the context of this scene when you see Christ and His disciples in the upper room. There's a group of mad, angry Jewish leaders who are gathering up a group of people and they're getting ready to come and take Jesus. There's Herod who would hear and try and ultimately convict the Lord. There are are Roman soldiers who in just a few hours will be guilty of driving the nails in our Savior's hands and feet. There's bad people all around this scene. And then we see Christ and His disciples in the upper room. Jesus is showing them with the cup that His blood will be shed for the remission of their sins. He's showing them with the bread that His body will be broken. Answer this question with me. You have the upper room. You have mad Jews, evil Romans. Do you know that the devil's not omnipresent? He's not. God is. The devil's not. Where's Satan and his demons at this moment? You know, at first thought, I think, well, surely Satan's with that mob of evil, those mob of Jews who are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Surely the devil is sitting on the shoulder of those Roman soldiers who will drive nails in his hands and feet. I want to show you from Luke chapter number 22 where they are, where the devil is. Luke chapter 22, verse number 3, the Bible says, Then entered Satan into Judas surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Where's the devil? He's right there in the middle of the disciples. Folks, I don't think the devil stays out late in the nightclubs and bars. He doesn't need to. I think the devil gets up early on Sunday morning, puts on a shirt and tie, and shows up in churches that have a potential to impact the the world with the gospel. I think the devil shows up in homes of beautiful families where the husband and wife are both saved and he wants to, he wants to put, drive a wedge between them. The devil was in Judas. They have this meeting together and Jesus is pouring out their heart, his heart to them. He says, I desire, in verse number 15, to be with you and eat this supper 
The Bible says, in the midst of all this beautiful typology, this beautiful scene, you've seen the painting so many times. The Bible says in verse 24, there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. (laughs) What's going on? Where's the devil? He's right there in the midst of the disciples. What's he doing? (laughs) I'll tell you what he's doing. He's making Peter mad at John and John mad at Philip and you fill in the blanks. They're fighting over who's going to be the greatest. Where's the devil? He's right there with the disciples. If that's not enough evidence, look at verse number 31. Peter, full of pride, told Jesus that he's wrong. Don't ever tell Jesus he's wrong. If you ever learn learn anything from me, don't ever tell Jesus he's wrong because he's not. And Jesus speaking to Simon Peter, he says in verse 31, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Peter says in verse 33, he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. He says, you're wrong. Where's Satan? He's not with the angry mob. He's not with the Romans. He's not in Herod's palace. He's right in the midst of God's faithful servants. What's Peter struggling with? The Lordship of Christ. He wouldn't humble himself and say, okay, you're the Lord. If I need to beware, I need to beware. (laughs) He said, no, I'm ready. I want you to see what the Bible says in verse number 54 of Luke chapter 22. They've come and taken Christ and the Bible says of Peter, then took they him, took Jesus, took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off. Boy, he's real brave, isn't he? He's doing great, isn't he? Verse 55, the Bible says, And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. Look at verse 55. I want you to pay close attention to the position we find Peter in. The Bible says in verse 55 that they kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together. The Bible says Peter sat down among them. The Scripture says in verse 56, But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire. Folks, I believe that the Word of God has inspired every jot, every tittle. And the Bible says that Peter, he just told the Lord, I'll go with you even unto death. He'd taken a sword and whacked off Malchus's ear. Can you imagine? Jesus picks up his ear and sticks it back on his head. And these, Peter still didn't submit to the Lord. And those soldiers still took Christ, nailed him to a cross. Blows my mind. But you know, we can get that ridiculous. And Peter... What's he doing? Standing up for Jesus? No, he sits there. Somebody comes by and says, I can see you guys better if I sit right here. Some guy comes by and says, Hey, I know you. You're one of his disciples. You know what Peter had a chance to do? Stand up and say, Yes, my name's Simon Peter. 
I've been following Jesus. Let me testify to the miracles that He's done. And let me explain to you what's going to happen because He's explained to me that He's going to go on the cross. He's going to be buried in a bar tomb and three days later He's going to rise victoriously so that you can have everlasting life. But that's not what He did. He sat there. And somebody else came by and He sat there. And somebody else came by and He sat there. And then He had to do something that all of us will do. He looked eyeball to eyeball with His Savior. His Savior knowing that He'd denied Him, that He'd been sat down by the devil himself. I can't help but believe that's why Peter wrote these words, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil's a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. What happened? The devil sat Peter down. Ineffective. Why? Well, he wasn't strong in the Lord. Why? He began to war against his fellow brothers and sisters instead of being a faithful servant, a stand-up servant of Jesus Christ. Folks, I want you to know something. He or she or they, this ain't good English, but it's good preaching, ain't your problem. That's not the problem. The problem is the devil wants to render you ineffective. And folks, I pray that God will work in your heart and in your homes and in this church and you'll recognize the wiles of the devil and you'll resist the devil. And you'll flee the temptation to be sat down, seated, ineffective for God and His glory. There's too much to be done in Kingsport, Tennessee for, any, for even one of us to be rendered ineffective because of sin and the devil.